Welcome to the Nicolay Wealth Management Investment Podcast. On this episode, you will hear Adam Longley and Mike Steppe talk about what has worked well in the stock market this year. They will also discuss how high can the debt ceiling go and how might that impact the equity market. And listen in as the team deliberates if we will see inflation fall in the near future. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss the latest updates on investment management, the economy, and much more in this podcast hosted by Anthony Wilhelms of Nicolay Wealth Management. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. As always, I'm your host, Anthony Wilhelms, and this is another episode of the Nicolay Wealth Management Podcast. Joining me are Mike Steppe and Adam Longlays to talk about investments, financial markets, portfolios, and some of the things we're doing at Nicolay. Mike, will you kick us off with an update on what's been going on in the markets for the last few weeks? Sure. We continue to have a good start to the year. Through the close on February 10th, the equity market, the S&P 500, was up 6.7%, and the Russell 2000 was up 9.05%. Most of these gains were generated in January. Uh, during the early part of February, the market has been moving sort of sideways. International markets are up. The international developed, the EFA uh, index is up 7.37%, and the emerging market index is up 6.05. So equities off to a good start. Bond market rallied with yields coming down early in the year, and then they've set back. So, um, for example, a five-year treasury started the year at 4%. By January 18th, it was at 344. So a 56 basis point decline in, in bonds. That's a pretty good move. And now we've bounced back up to 394. So we've had sort of this V pattern uh, with yields during the first six weeks of the year. After strengthening for most of last year, the dollar has weakened since October, uh, and primarily because of interest rate differentials. When you look at the difference in yields between U.S. rates and German rates on, for example, a 10-year Bund or 10-year U.S. Treasury note, that spread is narrow. And so as that's happened, we've seen the dollar weaken, and you'd expect if the two-year rates in, in the U.S. continue to inch up, that the dollar will strengthen. If that doesn't move much, then we'll probably weaken some more. So it's sort of interest rate dependent right now. So that's a lot of the market focus early this year has been on what the Fed's doing with interest rates. So that's what sort of the focus of the market, not only US domestically, but international equity and the dollar. So those oh. are the key things going on. These are going to be fun topics to come back to. The uh, U.S. dollar and that spread between the Bund and U.S. Treasuries, I will come back to. While you mentioned the Fed and the uh, impact on the market so far this year, well, and really 2022, would you talk a bit about the rate heights, hike cycle and where it's going from here? I wish I knew for sure where it was going from <laughs> here. Uh, but the, the market is expecting two additional 25 basis point rate hikes. So there's a meeting on March 22nd, likely move up by 25 basis points. There's a meeting on May 3rd, probably another 25 basis point um, thing. By then, the Fed will see a couple more inflation numbers, 
and will probably have more confidence in what they're doing. There's a possibility we could get a third rate hike on June 14th, but we'd probably need, we'd, we'd probably be a situation where the Fed didn't see the progress on the inflation front that they were hoping to see. Longer term, once we, we sort of get through these rate increases, we'll then likely have a pause where the Fed will just hold rates steady. And the market is starting to anticipate that that's gonna change in December. There's an FOMC meeting on December 13th. The market is pricing in as if the Fed's gonna lower um, rate overnight rates at that meeting by 25 basis points, and then lower it again on January 31st of 2024 by another 25 basis points. So we sort of get back to where we are right now. So we're expecting two rate increases, wait almost a year, and then have two rate decreases to get us back to just under 5%. That's consistent with what we're seeing in the pricing in the Fed funds futures market, and where Fed funds sort of get up into that range of 515 to 520, then they pause at sort of that level for a while, and then they come back down to around 475 um, late in 2023, early 2024. Uh, Adam, I'll come to you with a question related to interest rates, but more specifically to the debt ceiling. Uh, obviously, plenty of new debt has been added to the balance sheets over the last year, five years, 10 years, decades. Uh, can you give a comment on what's going on with the debt ceiling? And then we'll go into a little more depth with Mike and you related to fixed income and equities on that. Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, the debt ceiling was actually created in 1917, and it was created during the First World War. And they, they created it as a kind of a mechanism to limit the total amount the federal government could issue. Um, and it's it's the debt they can issue to meet their, their current obligations. So the current debt limit today is about $31.5 trillion. But if you look over the last 60 plus years, this debt ceiling has had to be raised 86 times. Anthony, to your to your point. Um, so this what's going on currently, we've we've been here before. Um, both parties have raised the limit over the years, um, several, many times. And, and basically what Congress is doing is they're voting to pay for spending that has already been approved. Um, so the government actually hit the ceiling in uh, January 19th. And since then they've been taking, um, different, they've been pulling different levers to, to avoid going over that limit. That's really interesting. The concept of voting to pay for spending that's already been approved. Uh, it sounds like a different world than individual finance or normal corporate finance when we get into the government side. I'll come back to you in a moment, Adam. But Mike, will you comment on how that is affecting the fixed income markets? Sure, it has. It has historically had a big impact on the treasury market because it sort of unsettles the market. So the historical pattern is that as this debate gets contentious, and there's we're we're getting closer and closer to the uh, you know the time when there's there they need to have this passed. The treasury principal and interest on treasury debt continues to get paid on time. The treasury makes a daily decision about whether to make other government payments. This is when they send the non-essential workers uh, home. And uh, so, you know, they just, they don't have the payment 
to be able to fund the agricultural department and the, the various other government entities. And the rating agencies look at that and say, is this spending failure a technical default uh, on, on the government's part? And you get into arguments about that. No matter what, the debate is likely to be contentious. On a fixed income side, there's two key things the market's looking for. One, do they increase the debt limit? Okay, because we've got this spending that is going to occur. And secondly, do they do it without a default? And uh, the market would clearly um, want there to be no default in the, in the treasury market because it's such a massive market that's a global market and it's always been the safe haven investment asset. And you want it to continue to be when there's problems in the world, money flows into the US treasury market. And so you want to be able to continue that. That lowers our effective cost of borrowing. So that, that debate is going to play out, though. And you don't know how it's going to be. You know it'll be messy. And, um, you know, the choices are difficult. When you talk about cost of borrowing, I have a few questions for you here, Mike. You talked earlier about the spread between the Bund and the U.S. Treasury being, it's narrow, but it is still a positive yield Treasury versus Bund. So the U.S. Treasury is... Uh, paying more interest than the German Bund. Is that a market-driven dynamic or is that Fed intervention? Maybe I'll ask it a different way too. Is it the market saying the U.S. is less credit worthy by charging a higher rate of interest to the U.S. than the Bund? I think it's more a factor and, and everybody will have a different interpretation on this. So I'll give you my interpretation. My interpretation is the Bund has been more focused on controlling inflation. The history in Germany is that that they're very concerned from you know World War pre World War II sort of era when inflation got out of control and it was a very clear thing. Let's not in, let inflation be a problem. And so I think they've been better at controlling inflation than the U.S. has. And so market looks at that and says there's a there's a you know it's more likely that the political process in the U.S will be a little more inflationary. And so that's why the US yields are a little higher. So when we think about uh, inflationary political pressure, printing money or however we say it, uh, borrowing unlimited money seems to be an inflationary action. Uh, and it, it's something we <laughs> hear and talk about. And I do sometimes just flippantly saying, well, you can't go on borrowing forever. When I mean, at the individual level, we know that to be true. But at the government level, we've been saying that for maybe 50 years, or I, I don't have the number, but Adam said we've raised the debt ceiling maybe 80 times or 100 times over the last 100 years. So is it true that you can't go on borrowing forever? Can we? And then if we couldn't, who would stop us being the U.S.? Well, investors would be the, the policemen in all this. You, you know, it basically comes down to the U.S., because of our productivity and because of all the great assets that we have, has been able to borrow for what longer than what most people would think would be would be allowed. But it's been allowed because we have all these great universities, we have all this entrepreneurial spirit, all the good things that make America the place that everybody wants to live and the place that has this economic dynamism that makes it so effective. And so that allows us to borrow money um, even beyond normal standards that you'd say. 
So I think, you know, it's an open question as to you, you can borrow money until all of a sudden you can't. And uh, we, you don't know what, at what point that is. I, I think most people would say we'd like to borrow less, um, but we've got these, these uh, problems uh, in terms of funding the elderly, funding education, funding all these things that uh, we want to spend money on. And so that's where it becomes a political issue and where it gets sort of contentious. <laughs> yes, it does. And there's not an easy answer to what is around the corner. Does that continue to climb or is there a market that causes repayment? Adam, I'll come over to you with a uh, question related to equities. Mike filled us in on the impact on fixed income from the uh, debt cycle in generally in general and debt limit. Uh, can you explain what you expect to see from equity markets as a result? Sure. So far, there's really been no impact. The equity market is assuming things will get worked out. They'll get worked out ahead of time. But historically, that's that's not really what happens. Um, usually, there is a, a large impact, like Mike mentioned, in the bond market. You know, maybe a good example was about 10 years ago, um, similar dynamic. Uh, what happened then was the S&P 500 fell 15%. On, on concern um, that we would not find a solution. And not surprisingly, um, the stocks that were more cyclical um, underperformed the most. Um, their earnings were most at risk. And then more defensive sectors did better. Staples utilities did better in that environment, but financials and industrials did the worst. Um, it, it, and really, stocks fell um, up into the kind of the, the deadline um, we talked about a 15% fall, but then ultimately there was a, a favorable conclusion. Um, and, then the, and then over the next 12 months, stocks rallied 30%. So what we saw in the past was uh, even though everything worked out, the, the stock market still fell 15 and then went up 30 just on, on the risk. I like that history lesson and time to uh, pay attention to that. Adam, I'll come back to you in a few minutes to talk about how rebalancing affects portfolios and what people can do. Uh, but Mike, I will come to you with a question, one more related to inflationary pressures. You mentioned the Fed raising rates a couple more times, some of the reasons that they might extend. What are your expectations for inflationary pressures going forward? Well, I think overall we're seeing inflationary pressures coming down, but some costs are clearly sticky. Wages, rents, and you look at it, and this is the first time we're going through this type of a cycle with such a strong employment market. Uh, a week ago on Friday, you saw non-farm payrolls were up 517,000 jobs when what the market had expected was 188,000 jobs. So you have this really strong labor market, which, which translates into more inflationary pressures that's what the Fed is worrying about. They see this strong labor market. And then when they see data that says um, used car pricing, which had slowed down, has now started to increase back up. And they say, yeah, man, this can get away from us pretty quickly uh, if we don't um, continue to be pretty disciplined in, in doing this. So I think the Fed will, will continue to increase by... 50 basis points, two 25 basis point hikes in overnight rates. Again, just 
recognizing that there's a sticky component to this in wages and rents. Mike, it seems to me that inflation caused by demand being really high, which is what we saw, I think, through 2022, wages were up, demand was very high, driving up prices, versus inflation caused by a softening currency, causing inputs to production and natural resources to go up in costs, like uh, energy and anything imported. Do you see any issues of the U.S. dollar weakening over the last two months or so, maybe three, that could lead to a less friendly type of inflation than what we've been seeing for the last year or so? No, I think the the dollar, if we don't have some geopolitical risk that sort of surprises us, I think the dollar is going to sort of weaken, but modestly weaken. And so I think the most of the of the inflationary pressures are going to be more on the demand side. Got it. That's great. Uh, Adam, I'm going to come back to you. First, a summary of what sectors um, are working out well this year and what is lagging. So far this year, um, it's kind of been a reversal of, of last year. So you get the stock market up, S&P 500 up about 7% this year. It's really being driven by consumer spending. So consumer stocks are up 15 and then technology stock, after it fell 30% last year, it's up 13 And then real estate's up 9 um, Financials are kind of in line. And then the underperformers, materials, energy, industrials, up 3 or 5 And then at the bottom, staples, consumer staples, one of the more defensive sectors. Healthcare, again, very defensive. And then utilities, largely the most defensive sector. Those are all negative, down 2 or 4% in an environment where the, where the market's up 7 in, a, in about a month and a half. You mentioned at the beginning of the call, maybe it was Mike, uh, international emerging markets and U.S. and small cap. Can you let us know how those are going, Adam, and your outlook going forward? Yeah, so again, year to date. Um, so international developed. Um, as well as emerging markets, given some weakness, we're, they're all about up the same as the U.S. stock market, up six or seven percent. It's it's really the U.S. tech stocks um, and U.S. consumers that have been driving uh, the market higher over the last um, couple of weeks. And then you got the the fixed income markets up about two percent, high yields a little better, up three, given spreads have um, tightened um, as the economic data has has gotten better. You know what? Well, this is a more fun year to do what we do, right? When we see investments going up than 2022. Uh, but one of the things we saw through 2022 was a lot of opportunities to add value in portfolios. One of those that you talked about was rebalancing, Adam. How has that impacted clients? What do you look at in 2023? And how does it impact things like investments that clients have that might not be with Nicolay, say 401ks and things like that? Yeah, so, you know, this year, um, it is earnings season. So two-thirds of the companies have reported earnings. And, and what we've seen is, um, you know, the technology stocks um, have reported the worst earnings. Their earnings growth is down double digits. You've seen, um, take a company like Apple, for seven years, they beat. So that's 28 consecutive quarters of exceeding expectations. They missed for the first time. So you're seeing a lot of weakness in um, results, yet the stocks are up twice as much as the market. 
Um, and you, you've seen other things like that so far this year. So we think it's a good opportunity to look at portfolios and consider rebalancing. So um, if your asset allocation has changed, um, given how the market has traded, it's a good time to go in and, and, and look at maybe you want to bring it back to your targets and make sure you're positioned how you, how you want to be. Um, you know, on a more individual level, it's a good opportunity for people to go and look at their 401ks. Um, you had a lot of volatility last year. And then a big, big changes here in January, as well as a lot of company matches um, were likely deposited in January as well. I'd, I'd make sure those are invested how you, how you would like. Um, but, you know, stocks are up five percentage points more than bonds in the last month. So I uh, would encourage everyone to go into their 401ks and, and check how they're, how they're allocated. Those are great points. I always love the uh, guidance from you, Adam. Mike, I'll come back to you with one more question, then we'll wrap it up with some parting thoughts, for, uh, Mike, to you related to the fixed uh, high yield markets. Adam made a comment about the return so far, but uh, what's working? What isn't working in that high yield side of fixed income? High yield's working reasonably well. Benchmark is up just over 3% year to date. We continue to like high yield for a couple of reasons. First, there's a limited level of defaults. The, the economy is weakening, but not to the point where you're seeing a lot of companies having specific problems. Second thing is there's limited amount of issuance. A lot of high yield companies issued back when rates were low and pushed out those maturities. So when you look at the amount of the maturities that are coming up, they're relatively low that'll have to get uh, reissued. And third, and probably most important, yields are attractive. So um, for a portfolio that's mostly double B and single B, um, the yield on that type of a portfolio is around 680, which is pretty attractive. And so you look at that and you say, um, that that sort of fits for, for uh, portfolios. So we oh. like it. I love thinking that we can say 680 on a portfolio relative to where we were 18 months ago. Felt like you could uh, subtract six from that number <laughs> to get to what it felt like back then. Well, Mike and Adam, this has been great. I appreciate you tackling some questions with me today. Mike, turn it to you for some parting thoughts. Sure. I keep going back to you in investing, you have to take the stuff that's given to you. And right now, one-year treasury yields are above 480. And so whether you're looking at treasuries or whether you're looking at bank CDs or uh, you know other accounts, what, what we're seeing is higher rates and they're they're just more attractive than as as we were just talking. They're more attractive than what we saw 18 months ago. And so um, I, I think that's a positive to look at. I like it. Adam, parting thoughts from you. It's the time of the year where everyone's going in and gathering um, their financials for the for their taxes. So I encourage everyone to take that extra step and, and look at how your accounts are positioned while you're in there and think about uh, the year ahead and, and, and even longer term. That's a great thing to take a look at right now. What a fun thing to end on talking about tax prep. Thank you for that, Adam. But <laughs> like all the planning <laughs> guidance from everybody, uh, Mike and Adam, the rebalances, the deposits, the knowing the future. I like it all. I can't wait to be back with all of you soon. Thanks. Thanks.